The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. I didn't use that first word. Well, um, I don't have, I got nothing. Yeah, morning, morning. <laughs> you got nothing. Most of the PHF players got nothing. Um, yeah, but we're going to, we're going to get there. Um, some of the player, some of the teams at the draft got, well, nothing. Um, free agency has been more than nothing. Um, but there is a prevailing theme to it, uh, that, and a surprise biggest signing so far. Uh, there, we ran some polls this week and I think those were fun and interesting, um, why don't we start off with one of those polls? Um, heading into the draft, we asked a very simple question uh, on which the two of us disagreed. Uh, Mitchkov, top five, not top five. We got a good turnout on the on the uh, poll. It ran until. And that is our third seat, uh, Cisco, uh, joining in. He is definitely active this morning. Yes, he is. Um, third seat, ooh, well, we got a good turnout with 80, with the poll running until about half an hour into the draft broadcast. Um Poll results were pretty stark. 61.9% saying that Matt uh, Mitchkov, right wing out of Russia, would go first uh, in the top five to one of the Blackhawks, the Ducks, the Blue Jackets, the Sharks, or the Habs. At least those are the top five as we entered the draft, which is part of a whole nother story that's uh, pretty interesting. Um, I want... Uh, and he ended up going seventh to Philly. And I expected him to go probably closer to 10 or 12. There was no way he was falling out of the first round. I mean, I think that maybe based on the actual scouting reports I read that saying that he would be the clear number one if Bernard weren't in the draft is a little bit of a stretch because I saw the same thing said about Pantilli, and I saw the same thing said about Carlson, and I saw the same thing said about a couple other players. I, I have to agree with that. I don't think that Mitchkov would have been number one with Bedard. Uh, even, absent. even even if you ignore the situation in the Ukraine right now, I don't see that happening. I'm... I know we talked about the, the, the Russia attacks, as they call it, and it definitely came into play here. I mean, he fell to seventh because of his three years in the KHL, but he's going to have to pay uh, unless Philly can somehow well, negotiate his way out. Well, I think he fell to seven because – not just because of the Russian tax, but I think that the – I think that part of it is there were several really good centers and he's a right wing teams value centers more than right wings, more than left wings. 
And if there's any doubt whatsoever, they're going to go with the position they value more than the player they think is better. Um, had he been a center, he probably would have still have been taken in the top five. Uh, but you look, I mean, just the last time that I can think of uh, an, an occasion where a re, where a player actually playing wing the majority of the time went over a center playing the majority of the time when both of them were talked about it as being at the top of the draft was Ovechkin Malkin. And even then Malkin was kind of a center, kind of a winger. And in that case, it was clearly the right choice. I mean, Malkin's had a fantastic career. He'll be in the hall of fame when he retires. Um, but a, no one, no one questions that Ovechkin's actually been a better player. Um, you look at, you look at almost every draft since. I, I can't think of a another situation where you know the the wing was taken over the center um, when both were considered potential number ones the whole year and heading into the year. And I mean, don't forget, we've been hearing about Bedard for three or four years at this point. It is also possible that he just fell to seven because Montreal and Arizona needed defensemen. I mean, Arizona lost Jacob Chikrin. They brought in Dmitry Simashev. Now mm-hmm. he's got he's got a similar issue to Michkov, where he's got a two year he's got two years left in the KHL. But they were they're replacing a pretty well-known commodity in Chikrin. Montreal needs, well, defense more than anything else. Uh, maybe Golden. Nah. Anyway, defense, very important in Montreal. They got a lot of young guys up front. They needed, they need to fix that defense. So they went defense. They grabbed David Reinbacher, who, depending on who you want to listen to, is the best or second best. I mean, it gets all hazy. Top two or three defensemen, period. Yeah, let's go with top three. So it could just be that Michkov fell to seven because the guys, the guy at five didn't need a didn't need a forward, and six didn't need a forward. We could be completely overlooking this or, or misreading it. I don't think that there's any way that the the KHL contract is a non-factor. Um, I agree. I do do think that it probably favors Philly in a long-term sense. They're not rebuilding overnight. Every single team that has attempted to rebuild overnight has failed. But um, the fact that fans know that their new bestest prospect, at least until next year's draft, isn't going to be ready for the league for at least three years. They can try to negotiate to get out, get him out of it early. But even if you can't, are you really in that? But it gives you more time. Honestly, it gives you a little bit more time to draft better, to develop the young prospects who are currently in your system. And there's not many. Uh, Briere and I mean, and have a bunch of work to do. Yeah. This is their first year. This is their first draft together. I mean, Give them a chance to get in sync and, and figure things out. And we were talking about that being a sort of brain trust in 
in uh, Philly with a whole bunch of new, a whole bunch of personalities who haven't necessarily worked together before, even if they're familiar with each other by reputation, maybe even uh, in generally friends. Um, it's going to take a year, at least one iteration of doing the entire year's professional and amateur scouting, as well as evaluating uh, your own internal talent for that group to congeal. If Philly fan, if, if Flyers fans and players and prospects are lucky, if they never manage to gel, <laughs> all bets are off. But um, I think that, I, I mean, overall, Philly went fairly Russian heavy, um, which, you know, if you're willing to make the risk at the top of the draft, there you have no excuse for not making it further down. Um, and the, but the reverse benefit, uh, the additional benefit is, you know, you, if you're already flying or sending someone over to Russia to talk to one player, you can talk to three of your players or five of your players. And when they eventually get here, um, whether it's one at a time, two at a time, or all five show up on the roster at once, anything that they don't understand in English, because some of them, uh, including Minchkov, clearly didn't speak or understand English at the draft. Um, you have other people for them to converse with, and they're not as isolated. They don't have to rely purely on social media for conversations. Um, and maybe one or two of the players can act as interpreters for others by the time everyone arrives. Um, you know, these guys are all about the same age. It's it's good for them um, and has the potential to benefit the team greatly. And the team and the Flyers still have those first those two first round picks. There's in Florida's next year. They have Columbus's second rounder. Um, and they've cleared out a decent amount of cap space. Um, they should be able to get a roster that's, they should be able to get a roster that's able to develop the young talent that uh, is still in their system. Uh, Owen Tippett, who's a creaky and decrepit 24 should get more minutes than he's seen in the past. Uh, Ryan Poling, uh, who's, who is an even more aged 25. I'm sorry. No, he's also 24 should get more ice time. Um, and you look at, you know, they had Cam York playing a little bit last year. He's 22. Uh, if he can play on their back end, uh, you know, consistent 15, 18 minutes this year, it's only going to help his development. Um, I think it's pretty clear that the flyers um, are taking a long-term view, which is something they haven't been willing to do in the past. I think this is a fascinating development. Okay. Um, do I love their picks? No. Do I need to love their picks? Also, no. Um, I mean, I think that some of their picks are pretty good. You know, Mitchkov, it's hard to argue with him. Oliver Bonk, I really like to, I actually really, really like that pick. Um, you get a little deeper into the draft and there's, 
Well, they drafted clearly, in the second round. Um, clearly, they clearly they listened to me while I was talking uh, about the guys I was following pre-draft because they took two off of my list in Cole Knubel and Carter Soderin. I, I remembered Cole Knubel <laughs> and Rob Soderin. I, they actually took two goalies, uh, 36 picks apart with 51 and 87. They did. Um, it's funny because they did what I expected them to do with a new GM and with a team that needs everything everywhere. They covered everything everywhere. They got a right wing. They got a they got a couple few defensemen. They got two goaltenders, two centers. It, they did not leave a position un uncovered. No, if you want to quibble, they got three right defensemen and no left defensemen. Oh, okay. that's that's definitely quibbling when you're talking about players who are all 18 and and you know a minimum of two years away from the league. Because uh, their know. highest drafted defenseman was... No, well, actually, Bonk was first round, too. I, yes. I forgot that was a, sec- a first round pick. But I still don't expect to see him. I think I think Briere did... Uh, uh, I think Briere and company did yeoman's work. They brought in decent talent. That these guys are not going to be playing at the top level anytime soon. They don't need to be. And like, if there's a if there's a draft as a player, if there's a draft with the least pressure, um, it's a GM's first draft in a rebuild. Mm-hmm. Because as that player, if the team is going for a hard rebuild, which which the players are. Everyone knows it's you're, you're as a team you're four years away from competing, minimum. Anyone sensible, anyways. There, well, there's there's a few explosions going on in the NHL. I mean, you got Chicago, you got Philly, you got uh, to a, you got San Jose. Chicago and Philly are lucky enough that they can they've said it out loud effectively. Um, Detroit is still working through their rebuild, but that's a completely different kettle of fish up there because Eisenman has all of the leash and all of the time that he needs. He's a no less than a hockey deity in Detroit. So they're not going to run him out of town anytime soon. And then he turns around and says, yeah, look what I did in Tampa Bay. No, um, they didn't. They, they 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 were a slow build as well. Granted, it was a brand new franchise, but they were a slow build as well. They do they weren't a powerhouse overnight, but now perennial. I think that Florida. I mean, the, I, not to get too far off topic, but I think Tampa Bay is at the end of its window. Um, that's on. That's on. Uh, yeah, Breezebois, Patrice Breezebois down there. Patrice? No. I think it's Julian. Is it Julian? Julian Brisebois. Thank you. Yes. Patrice Brisebois was a player. Julian may have been too. I don't know. I just don't remember. Um, Anyway, so yes, the Philly, I think is, Philly is on the right. I mean, you can't really say too much good, bad, or indifferent about them at this point in time. You got to give Briere a little bit of time to work. And if Philly fans, I know that they've been waiting a, a while. I mean, Obviously, Toronto's been waiting longer, but um, 
I think that uh, you got to give Briere and company, and they brought in Keith, jo- they brought in Keith Jones. I think he knows a little bit of something about hockey, so you got to give them time to do their work. As far as the as far as the rest of the draft goes, and I know we got off topic because it was Mitchell, but a little bit of a draft recap. Just uh, please give me two minutes. I broke down some numbers because you and I made six picks. One of them. One of the picks was actually we both grabbed the same guy, Quentin Burns, who was taken 74th overall. Um, you actually had one player who was who went undrafted. Really? Which one? Marcus Wynn. Not surprised. I'm not either. I mean, and, and it's tough to find a whole lot of stuff on him. But that being said, uh, and I don't know if you did this. I don't know if it was a... a I, I purposely looked at guys who were ranked like 70th or 75th and below, but you had a higher average draft number. Uh, your players on average were taken at the 89th spot. Mine were taken at the 124th. Uh, I had Aiden Fink, who was taken in the seventh round. But it, it, uh, overall, I mean, we got 11 out of 12 players that we looked at were all taken in the NHL draft. I mean, some we knew were going to go. The, you know, Andrew Gibson goes to Detroit. Uh, Sturbach, Buffalo. Uh, Nairing, we expected he was going to go. Jacob Fowler was like, I think, the first goalie off the or top one of the top three goalies off the board at sixty nine. Yeah. Uh, we hit pretty hard on on some Detroit. Uh, we got a couple of Detroit guys. Detroit and Buffalo, basically, I could have been cribbing from their notes, and no one would know the difference. Yeah. But, yeah, Carter Solar, and like I said, Philly, I actually had two guys who were drafted by Philly. That's just me. But Scott Ratzlaff, the goaltender that I wanted to look at, who was just a – and I say just a backup. It's not fair to categorize him that way, but that's what he was in Portland – in Seattle, excuse me. He was the backup to Tomas Milic. And he still went 141 overall in the fifth round to Buffalo. And he went ahead of uh, Millich as well. That was actually, in in a lot of the readings that I did, that was actually expected. I don't know if it's because Millich had a down year or what the problem was. But Ratzlaff, watching video of him, he was de- I, I think he's the better goaltender. I think he was backing up Millich because Millich was ahead of him year-wise, age-wise, whatever. You know, I just – I don't know why Ratzlaff isn't getting more playing time. He went 8-0-1 while Millich was in World Juniors. Or he may well get more playing time this year. I think um, you're going to I think you're going to see that he's going to be competing for more playing time. I don't think they're going to let him sit on the bench. And I don't think that Buffalo is going to want him sitting on the bench. No, Buffalo, I, given the situation that we've seen from Buffalo, I, I fully expect that we're going to see them exert their influence to get him as much playing time as they can, whether it's in junior, whether it's in, or if he, or if they ask for him to, you know, sign a contract, and play in the ECHL or the or even the AHL, which he may or may not be ready for. Overall, it was a good draft for us. 
11 out of 12. Oh. We did all right. I thought, I mean, it was a fun draft. Uh, Maxim Sturbeck. Uh, I didn't see where Zach Nehring went, but. Um, Zach Nehring went 82nd overall, third round to the Winnipeg Jets. Um, but I liked him. Uh, I was really, really hoping the Bruins would grab Quentin Burns or um, or Nehring uh, of all of these players. I just felt that he was the type of guy that I would want in Boston. The Bruins and, and it didn't become obvious until the second or third pick choice that they made. The Bruins were looking for something specific and by specific, I mean, they need to fill up the middle. They took four out of five picks were centers. But, but this is, that's been their MO for a, a generation. Then either a, they don't trust what they have in the system or B, they're just trying to stockpile a kettle of fish, and then they can pick the best ones of the bunch. They like, I, see, given the way that they drafted and the way these players were ranked, I don't know if they trust their staff. I legitimately don't know if they trust their staff. I, I know we've been saying this for a while. I don't know that I trust Don Sweeney. I mean, they have. T- they drafted Ryan Walsh, center. They drafted Christopher Pelosi, center. Um, I mean, they had. And, and when they drafted him, I went, who? That's that's what I said at, I think, every pick except for Beckett Hendrickson. Well, no, I had no Beckett Hendrickson I hadn't looked at. Uh, Christian uh, Kostadinsky I had looked at. And I think we talked about Ryan Walsh, but didn't end up talking about him on the show. Casper um, Nason, I want to say he went much lower than projected in the draft, which is somewhat terrifying. It just concerns me because why is he going so much lower than what was expected? What I, I, I mean, if it was an injury or something like that, you know, those things happen. There's not much you can do about it. Um, yeah, but I mean, 40 points in 48 games with Vesteris Jr. And then he played three games with the, the top club, Vesteris IK. He had three games with them, but didn't score any points. Makes me wonder if he just sat on the bench or if he actually participated, but... Wait, you think that players drafted into the NHL should have actually participated in their draft year's hockey? Well, they drafted this kid based off of one year of stats, because before that, there's not much going on. And then he had a breakout season in 22-23. I mean, that could explain why he's gone so low. There's just not a lot of statistical information on him. Yeah, I mean, Hockey didn't ha- even rank him. He's also 19 years old. He's an 04 child. He turned 19 back in April. So this is his second year of eligibility. I don't know. I don't know why Casper fell so far, but I mean, it has. And and if you look at if you look at Hockey DB, they actually have him listed as a right wing. But 
listed as a center uh, everywhere else that I've seen listed as a center. They made a comment that the Bruins drafted four centers and a defenseman. Shocking. I don't. Yeah, I don't know what Sweeney. I don't know what the plan was with Sweeney, and I'm sure we're going to get into a lot more Bruins <clears throat> talk at some point. Okay. Uh, one of the things that I found most interesting about the draft this year. Um, yes. You know what happened for the first time in 16 years at this year's draft? Um, Gary Bettman wasn't booed. No, he was actually booed. Um, he encourages it. I think it's hilarious. He, uh, the there were zero trades during the first round. You know what? I am not surprised by that. As much as I wouldn't have been surprised if they said that there were two or three people trying to get up into the first round. I think that there's a reason for it, though. I oh, I firmly believe that this is uh, we said this. I said this back probably three and a half, four months ago that I think this is a draft where you have those five or six players at the top. And the next big chunk of players, whether you want to call it. 35 players or 65 players. Yeah. They could go anywhere from after those immediate first five to the bottom of the, to the fourth round. Like they're, they're the best player. They're probably the best players on almost everyone's boards. Yeah. But overall, I think this is a draft where if you took 15 scouts and isolated them from the draft the entire two days and handed them a printout that showed three different versions of what of which 32 players got drafted in the second round. None of them would ever come up with the right. None of them would ever come up with the right list because it's plausible that every single one of these guys could go in those, you know, 55, 65 spots between, you know, number six, and number 70. See, and I have a different take on it. I think that the reason you didn't see any trades is it's it's all cap driven. Nobody wanted to trade out of nobody wanted to trade out of the first round because you're taking on salary and with a flat cap uh you need all the money you can get. Look at what the Bruins did sending out Hall and Felino, even though Felino it was just it, it was the rights to sign him, but letting losing players and we'll talk about free agency at some point as well, but losing certain players so that they could free up 13 million. I, I, I just don't think people wanted to give up spots to take on salary. Yeah. No one, no one who couldn't, who wasn't winning the deal handily was taking on salary this summer. You're a hundred percent correct there. Um, but moving into the draft and there's been a couple of players signed or moving into free agency and there's been a couple of players signed since I did, uh, the math this morning. Um, I, I don't think it's going to change the numbers very much, but, uh, as of this morning, when I did the, when I looked at it, there were 167 players signed for a total of 292 contract years. There have been five more signings since then. They're up to six today. And 
when I looked of those first 167 free agency signings for 2023, mm-hmm. there were only 24 players signed for three years or more. Gee, I wonder that's, why. That's virtually unprecedented. It may well be unprecedented in the cap era. Um, and you're not, and it's not even just, it's not even just, you know, rank and file, bottom six, bottom pairing guys who are getting short deals. Mm-hmm. It's almost everyone. Uh-huh. I mean, oh, there was there, one of the deals signed today was a four-year deal. Evan um, Rodriguez. Evan Rodriguez. But even there, his, I mean, his cap hit is low. Cap hit is, yeah, it's a four-year, four-year, $12 million deal with Florida. Evan Rodriguez has been on the move the last few years. Um, he played, yes. He, I mean, he played here. He played here in Massachusetts. He played his college hockey. Didn't see a lot of him then, but he was a talented kid, what I did see of him. Uh, but last few years, he's been kind of moving around, hasn't really. So for him to land a four-year deal somewhere, that's actually a pretty good thing for him. But I mean, yeah, if you look at the le- – I, I completely agree. You look at the rest of this list on Cap Friendly, and it's like two-year, one-year, two-year, one-year, two-year, one-year. I mean, one Blake year. Wheeler, who, was, who admittedly was bought out, so he's not necessarily hurting for cash – um, he didn't have a terrible year last year, 55 points in 72 games on a non-playoff or no, on a team that died in the first round where he was over a point per game. Um, he signed for a million dollars like he was a nobody. Uh, like a million dollars for a guy who's a point per game in the playoffs on a losing side and a one year deal. That's that's a little surprising. Um, you know, Nick Benino, who's known as being one of those really good depth players. You and I are so on the same way. I was just looking at his name. <laughs> he's he's only signed for that uh, for, you know, one year. Alex Kerfoot, who everyone's been talking about all summer long. Oh, only yeah. 28 years old. He got a two year deal. Oh yeah, um, one year deal. And most of the three most of the three year deals here, at least a, at least the first couple that I'm seeing other than Rodriguez, are entry level contracts. Like if you exclude the extra entry level contracts, um, that drops the number a bit. Uh, you have to scroll pretty far down the list to get to somebody over three, because the next one on the list is Corpusallo, got a five year deal in Ottawa. In fact, he got the Omar deal for five years, 20 million bucks. Oh, now, no, I'm sorry. He, got, he signed, got an extra year. Of all the guys signed so far. Yeah. With all the big names out there, uh, well, uh, medium big names, because there were there were no superstars anywhere near their prime in free agency this year. Do you know who got the biggest de- the biggest cap hit? Uh, Connor Clifton, no. Connor Clifton took a is is got like a three million dollar cap in yeah. Um, off the top of my head, no. it's not a 
Shane Gostas beer? It's not Gostas beer. Wow. Is it this? Wow. Wait a minute. I just saw this one. Four it's years. It's Sorokin. Sorokin. Oh, Killorn's got a six six and a quarter million dollar cap hit. Nope. Ilya Sorokin, as of the as of the right now, has the highest cap hit so far signed this year. Um. And it's a eight and a quarter million dollar salary, no bonuses. Um, but it has a five year no move or four year no movement, and four year uh, no trade. In his defense, um, sixteen team no trade list on the on the twenty eight twenty nine through thirty one thirty two seasons. In his defense, he was a finalist for the Vesna. Oh, look, I'm not. I mean, you play 62 games in the NHL as your third season with more <laughs> games than previous. You have a good goals against average, um, a strong save percentage. Uh, and then you go into the playoffs and toss up a, an even higher number in, in a losing effort. Mm. No, like Lamarillo did the right thing here. And oh, yeah, he had to. Absolutely, he had to because had he not signed him, um, someone else would have. Wow, I just saw a name on this list, and I I don't want to just start picking out names, but this one just jumped out at me. Yep. Um, this guy who's played a whopping four games in the NHL. Yes. And is still floating around and still getting contracts. Troy Groznick has played a whopping four games in the NHL. And yet the Nashville Predators have given him a one-year two-way deal for $775,000. That's effectively veteran. I believe that's a veteran minimum. So, yeah. But he just, I mean, he's either he's really good at, Either he's really good in the minors, or, or I, don't, I don't know what it is, but he just just keeps getting contracts, and then he his whole four his whole four games are all on the West Coast. I think there were two in L.A. and two in like San Jose or something like that, and his two in L.A. were actually pretty good. I think he had a nine twenty five save percentage or something. <laughs> But he's he just keeps getting signed to these one year. Like, yeah, I'll play. Just give me some money. There you go. Thanks. It is a laundry list of players. And yeah, as far as. Oh, look, Cole Caulfield got an eight year deal. Yeah, but it's not even there's nothing. I mean, if I were Cole, Cole Caulfield, not that he necessarily had the leverage that other players do Mm -hmm. um, because he was a pure RFA, not a um, UFA or even arbitration eligible. Excuse me. I would have wanted a bridge deal. I mean, I really would have wanted that bridge deal. He's 22. It's not that seven, eight, five is a terrible deal, but if he comes, you know, if he plays this season and shows up with, better numbers or even just the same points per game uh, that he put up this year. Cause he had 26 goals in 46 games. Um, 
the fact that you only played 46 games is concerning. Yeah. But, you know, as a rookie, he, he still had that 12 points in 20 games in the in the playoffs. Uh, and yes, those were the pretend offs, but um, that was immediately after making the jump from college. Uh, Excuse me. And I was wrong about, uh, well, not wrong, but I was incorrect in stating that Fantilli was going to choose not to go. He's already chosen. He's already signed an entry level. I wonder what the order of that was and how many of the guys uh, out of Michigan made their decisions jointly. Sam, yeah, I don't know. But Samus Gavich left. I mean, Luke Hughes obviously left at the end of the season. Luke Hughes left at the end of the season to go play for, where did he go, the Devils? Devils with, with his, his brother. brother. Yeah. Fantilli's already signed his three-year deal. Cap hit $950,000. Uh, but his average annual, it, it's all bonuses in order to pay him what a third, what a third overall pick would get. Cause the contract value is almost nine and a half million, but his cap hits only slightly under three. I just, I, yeah, looking at this list, and, and I apologize, Cole Caulfield was not part of the July 1st. I scrolled too far. But you look at the list of players that have signed since July 1st, it's, yeah, it, it, it's all one- and two-year deals. Clearly, the flat cap and the, the allure of having it go up four-plus million as early as possibly the 23, uh, the 24-25 season – it has got a lot of players intrigued and a lot of agents intrigued. So they're, they're signing short-term show-me deals or short-term, I want the big money with my next signing deals. I think it's I think it's mutual, though. I think the GMs are very happy to sign short-term deals um, because they're more movable and they're they more are. forgiving. They are. I actually thought that Mr. Quick was going to call it a day, but he has signed himself a deal with the Rangers. The Rangers, the team that he grew up watching. as uh, From Connecticut, yeah. He's coming home. He's going to be backing up uh, Igor Shesterkin, let's call a spade a spade. <laughs> he may want No, to, really? He may want to compete for the starting job. I don't think he's going to get it. I don't even Detroit has been very active in free agency. It's, it, it's been, I mean, it's been active. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of signings. It's just not a lot of term. Oh, absolutely. There, I mean, the signings are pretty obvious. Uh, it's probably about the same number as last year. Um, it's just nobody, nobody, nobody is getting it. it, Nobody, nobody should be planning their dream home and hoping to build it. Uh, if they're not basically Sorokin or, or whoever, because it just, no, there's no big deals out there. And 
we may actually see that next year too, depending on what rumors start circulating about how how much the cap is going to go up after that. That's very true. Uh, before we go into the Bruins, um, because I do want to talk about them in depth, we've got Bruins uh, dev camp coming up this week. Uh, both of us will be will be there at least a couple of days. Um, oh yeah. Let's talk women's hockey. Uh, I know we can't avoid it, but because there was what I put when I when I wrote it into our show plan, I called it a cataclysm. Um, some people will think that I'm being overly dramatic in doing so. Uh, I'm not sure I am, and I say that because. This is a genuine eruption and disruption of what we've known about women's hockey for five years. Train wreck, um, hostile takeover. Um, and yes, hostile takeover is the best description of what I've seen, uh, of what we've seen out of this to date. Um, I don't think that this is a... Look, I, I, both of us love women women's hockey. We champion it. We talk about it whenever there's an opportunity. Um, love hockey at every level. I can't look at what's available in the media, and I've read you know four or five articles, and say that I genuinely believe that this has been good for the bulk of the women playing hockey professionally in North America today or will be good for them in the short to medium term. You, I just can't do it. You're reducing. Um, I mean, okay. So the particulars are that the ownership group, Mark, the Mark Walter ownership group uh, or the Mark Walter group and Billy Jean King enterprises, which is Billy Jean King, Bought the PHF. Bought the PHF at no financial gain to the owners. And that's the quote straight out of the athletic. There was no financial profit for the PHF owners in the sale. End quote. This is awful. They're not releasing specific terms. Who cares? This is ridiculous. It was clearly a hostile takeover. They they haven't wanted to work together. Um, in fact, uh, the Gary Bettman has been a staunch supporter of them working together to progress and forward women's hockey. And yet in April, and that was back in March of 2022. And yet in April, the PHWPA decided and voted, um, yeah, we're not going to do that. And uh, pulled the plug. I mean, this, uh, let's put it this way. This situation, to all data available to us at this point, appears to be so messed up that we agree with Gary Bettman, both of us, at the same time, <laughs> on the same day. Uh-huh. 
Um, I, I've known Chris, um, 20 something years at this point. Yeah. I'm not sure we've ever both agreed with Gary Bettman. Um, not at the same time. On the same time at the same issue, because as Bettman put it, the best situation would be if both sides or all parties are pulling in the same direction at maximum effort. Understanding that the former PHF owners have not gained any money after years and years of investment, after growing the league, uh, expanding it from, you know, the it, it dropped us down to five teams. There were plans for there to be as many as eight teams over the next year or two. The players who had played a real season with a real schedule, with real fans supporting them, cheering them, and booing them when they weren't playing well, who were the who are actually on ESPN and getting ESPN coverage, um, which means that you really can't afford to ignore them if you're a sports outlet and ESPN is covering them versus a group that doesn't even have a name for itself, a regular schedule um, or team names or team names and they not only came in and canceled the schedule, but they voided the contracts of all of the players involved with PHF, and they're not going to allow them uh, any any form of input on a not yet ratified CBA. Officially, officially, all the players will be released from their contracts on July 10th. 70 players signed new deals under the expanded salary cap that just happened in the PHF. There are, and Alina Muller, for example, signed $130,000 contract. It, now, yes, it doesn't sound like a lot when you talk about men's hockey or this or that, but this is a growing sport and they're growing. And the fact that they expanded, we talked about it when it happened, the fact that they expanded the cap and how huge it was. And now they're all voided and they are going to get one twelfth of their contract value or $5,000, whichever is greater. Correct. On top of that, they're going to be granted the opportunity to play in a league smaller than the number of teams that both team that both organizations had together. And we have to wait until January of 2024 at earliest to see what this new league is going to look like. They haven't announced where the teams are going to play, what their team names are, uh, anything like that. Um, This could have been done so much better. Did they do some things right? Yes. They're playing some benefits for a short term, uh, a couple of weeks, a couple of months. September 30th? They they can keep their health benefits until September 30th, the PHF players. That... That's better than the layoffs that Silicon Valley and Big Tech are doing, so I can't really jump on them about that. Um, But you know what? You had the opportunity where you had a – the PHF 
and the PWHA or Professional Women's Hockey Players Association, you had the opportunity to have your two entities play, you know, cross league games throughout the regular season, play both of their regular seasons, each play a championship, and then play for the first unified championship and have all of it be great marketing and start talking about in a positive manner the merger and how you're moving towards playing uh, how you're moving towards building a a new a new league with you know maybe you can actually kick open with 10 teams because there were five in I think there were five PW HPA teams and at least six or seven PHF teams seven PHF they're cutting it down they're, they're cutting it down the new league's going to have six so they're losing one team uh, the one thing that the, no, the no, one no. Thing they're, they're losing multiple teams because the PH the P the PWPA already had their own teams with separate rosters from the PHF right and those and and what the, and they haven't determined where they have not yet determined. I'm looking at that right now. So, uh, further details, such as where teams will be located, are still to come. There will be more details on the league in the next 30 to 60 days. Quote, we are in the formative stages. And that's the other thing. They've kind of gone backwards here because they're now in the formative stages. But so I will they tell went you. from having a, a functional league that was growing and the PHPA that was doing their thing. To having nothing. They, they are working on, it says they are working on names, logos, cities, venues, schedules. We had, we've had people preparing and now we got to go. Um, so you decided to take over this league and you didn't have anything in place. I've heard. Is this on a whim? I've heard of startup culture. Uh, companies saying that they're building the plane while they're flying it. That's what they're doing. This this is this is inventing nuclear physics <laughs> while you're dropping the A bomb. Like, the, come I, on. I think the only thing I think the only thing I can say that it might be in the the the, the player association's benefit is that. Unlike the PHF, who only had a series of bylaws, the C, the PWHPA actually has a collective bargaining agreement no, no, in place. They do not have it in place. They have they have the four. They have a. They are attempting to agree to what? Oh, oh. The way they made this sound is the way or the way it's written. It sounds like they. Uh, according to players who have re- reviewed the CBA, items include salaries in the range of 35 to 80. So now we're talking about women who signed $130,000 contracts are going to take, if they're welcomed into this new league, if they make it, they're taking a hit on the salary. Um, housing stipends, relocation fees. Oh, that's nice. They're going to help them move. Uh, medical and dental benefits, which they already had in in the PHF. That's why they're being extended to September 30th. 
Um, they are going to have retirement plans as well as maternity and parental leave, which I'm pretty sure they already had in the PHF. So yes, what exactly are you doing better? And as look, improving. you termed it a hostile takeover in the pre-show, and there's I, nothing. I just did it a few minutes ago too. There, there's nothing. There's no better description in all of the articles, whether it's the Athletic or the two or three others, including Forbes, that we that we've looked at. This is crap. I have, I I don't have hope for women's hockey right now. I, there's there's nothing that makes me think that the P the PHF owners were doing the right thing or the bright thing. They just sold. If you when you sell a at least a semi-functional entity at no financial gain. Um. Yeah, that that's worrisome. And when you look at the group on the purchasing side, this includes a guy who's part owner of the, who's a majority owner of the Dodgers. He is a majority owner of a of a WNBA franchise. He uh, the group is heavily involved with. Uh, Chelsea football in the UK. Um, how is he going to properly manage to run a league, league six plus teams on top of all those other responsibilities? Uh, he hires people. I don't. It, it, I, I don't. I don't get it. It's something we've wanted to do for more than four years now. Uh, And look, I wanted there to be one entity as well, because I I think it's the I think it's the fastest route to growth. I don't I don't. I don't have an issue with there being one entity. Um, But this way of accomplishing it about six about six months ago the phf announced an historic 1.5 million dollar salary cap per team double the previous year and a 900 percent growth since 2021 the phf and now it's PHF. gone now it's gone contracts voided women who have spent their entire professional careers uh, playing in the PHF and its predecessor, National Women's Hockey uh, National Women's Hockey League, uh, they don't have a league to call home. They have no certainty. This is going to be a huge talent bleed. And guess what? I will not be shocked if we see the emergence of yet another new women's league in the next two or three years because this isn't working this doesn't work players i really won't so none of the ph and and like you said none of the phf players get to ratify the cba because any any phf players who have their contracts voided will not participate in the ratification so 
yeah, hostile is the only way to put if you're not involving everyone, then it's hostile. You're stacking the deck and they're stacking the deck with their PWHPA players. Uh, if you really read between the lines, and this is something that jumped out at me, if you look at the PHF rosters, they are international rosters. PWHPA is primarily just North America and and, can- and Canada. And that and the thing that they're specifically dividing it into three Can- Canadian and three uh, in the U.S. When there's already five PHF teams in the U.S. Yep. It, it, but if I were, I will not be surprised if I hear and see descriptions of this as protectionist and provincialist from the uh, uh, towards the Canadians on the side of the PW uh, of the. Professional Women's Hockey Players Association group, because this just doesn't make sense. There's, I mean, we talk about how badly the NHL markets itself and fails to do sensible things to make themselves grow. The now one women's hockey entity has just topped their worst efforts. Uh, and this is Matt, Madison Packer, longtime player uh, for the, the, the Riveters, the Metropolitan Riveters. Quote, I think the initial reaction from everyone is obviously shock, but we all know it's sad in some ways. We all know it's hard. We need each other. We need women's hockey to grow in one spot. And some markets have worked for us. Some haven't. I think that when it becomes a reality, it's tough to stomach because nobody wants to see anybody out of a job, right? I can't, say it any, I can't say it any better. You can't grow if you're going to keep disassembling and destroying. How are you supposed to grow? But – like generally speaking, growth requires growth requires planting seeds, and this. If you're gonna give me, you can't make an omelet without cracking some eggs. Crap. This isn't cracking the eggs. This is squeezing the chicken in the hopes that eggs will come out faster. Um, and no, I'm just not. I'm not a fan. I I want to be hopeful. I will celebrate growth when it, if and when it eventually comes. There are so many other avenues they could have done, they could have done or gone down that would have been more beneficial to a new United League. This just seems divisive and counterproductive. Sorry. Nope, you're not wrong, and I don't want to talk about it anymore because I kind of want to throw stuff at this point. Um, Yes, I'm trying not to, actually, on my end, so... So we we heard early uh, right uh, we heard late last week right around the time we started recording that Milan Lucic could be headed back to Boston. As it yeah. happens, that's the case. Uh, uh, and I put up I put up a quick poll mostly for 
pure amusement because I didn't expect any of it to happen. <laughs> um, NHL Bruins fans, if the opening night third line is Lucic, Frederick, Kessel, how will you how will you feel? The options were love it, can live with it, or please God no. Much to my surprise, please God no got the smallest response and. I think people are looking at this through their black and gold uh, colored lenses because 52% said love it and 28% said can live with it. I love Trent Frederick. I, I think he's a good player. He's still unsigned. They did tender him and most of their other uh, RFAs. Kessel is, I believe, still unsigned, um, but Lucic has actually returned. Um Kessel's not coming here. He's still a UFA. I mean, they might they might try and squeeze him in. Play specialist. Got to spend that thirteen million. And I, you don't. We're gonna start this, and I'm gonna say the things I. I, I please God, no. Only got twenty percent. And that's a, I mean, please God, no, is basically my reaction to. Please God, no, should have had like, I don't know, 100%, but. I was thinking closer to like 105%. They, that um, works. But please God, no, is basically my description, uh, my reaction to their free agency moves as a whole. Um, now, I understand that it's a rebuild, whether Sweeney and. Um, Neely are ever going to say it or not. Mm-hmm. I understand where we are with the cap. But Kevin Shattenkirk? No, no, no. No, no, no. No, it starts with they no, moved no. Luke Torpakowski. Isn't he on like a two-way deal or something? <laughs> I mean, he played with he's on a two-way deal. He played with Providence. He'll probably never see Boston. After dra- after develop uh, after uh, main camp this fall, uh huh. Um, and then like Patrick Brown, yeah, thirty one year old Patrick Brown, who I literally can't remember ever seeing on NHL ice, despite the fact that he's played one hundred and thirty eight games, somehow got a one way deal. Which means he has to be with the big club. That's yeah, great. ten ten game uh, ten goals in his one hundred and thirty eight games. A combined minus 24 um, and all of three goals in his 22 playoff appearances. Um, Apparently last year, he split the year between Philly and Ottawa. You're leaving out the prize jewel of free agency signings so far. Jason Menga? Is that the one you were talking about? Uh, No, no, not Jason Menga. Um, Mitchell Miller, was that the one you were talking about? No, not Mitchell Miller. Uh, actually that was, that goes way back to November. Sorry. Um, it's all right. but it's, I know the other, the one that you're talking about, I'm assuming it's not Anthony Richard, but, uh, no, not Anthony Richard, 26 years old. And I don't ever remember seeing this guy play, but he's on a two way deal. So. JVR is now a Boston Bruin. Stop. 
certified Bruins killer, signed by Boston, history repeats itself, or at least the Boston Bruins front office does. I mean, how many Bruins killers have the Bruins signed in the last decade and a half who have come in and killed the Bruins by doing nothing? I got one at JVR like 10, 12 years ago. 61 games last season, 12 goals. Ooh. And the fact that he missed 21 games after playing the full season the year before, and I think the full season, that short, that COVID shortened season. Yeah, 56 games was the full season, yeah. 66 was right about the full season in 1920 because they all stopped somewhere between 67 and 70 before um, they had the pause. So, is, yeah, pretty much playing three full seasons and then last year coming up 21 games short. He missed a quarter of the season. Yeah. He hasn't played a playoff game since the 1920 uh, pretendoffs. <laughs> Oh, oh, night, oh, 2019, 2020. I'm like, I know that he's old, but wow, he hasn't played since the 1920 playoffs. Wow. Um, he's not had back-to-back 20 goal seasons uh, since 17, 18, 18, 19, which occurred on two separate teams. In yeah. his last three, se- last two seasons, he's a combined minus 36. Which is, by the way, more than his point total for last season and nearly his point total for the season before. But if you no, he's not being paid a huge amount of money, he's basically getting veteran minimum and a tip for uh, carrying his own bags uh, to the arena. It's all salary. There's no bonuses tied up. It's one million bucks. But I, I saw this and I'm like. Okay, so you're de- you're trying to cover, you're trying to sell jerseys. I get it. I get it. No, he's, um, young, he's younger than I thought. I thought he was like 37. He's only 34. Oh, he's he's at almost a thousand NHL games. Like if he plays as many games this year as he did last year, he'll play his thousandth game probably in a Bruins uniform. Wow! Yay! Well, we can celebrate that. Um. I know this. I know the pick that you probably like best is uh, the pickup you'll probably like best is Morgan Geeky. Oh, we got Morgan Geeky. I do like Morgan Geeky, but I like him. I like him for multiple reasons, though. For those of you who didn't listen around the expansion draft, I think Chris talked for about seventy-eight minutes about Morgan Geeky (laughs) when Seattle picked him. I don't think it it might have been a little longer. I might be underestimating things. I don't think it was that long. Come on now. I just – he's 24 years old. Of all the people that we have signed uh, – wait, wait, wait. Let me let me see here. July 1st, July 1st, July 1st. James Van Reem's like 34. No, oh, I'm he's sorry. like a decade younger than most of them, yeah. Anthony Richard. Okay. Those two guys got two-way deals. The third guy, he's 33. He got a two-way. 35, 31. Toporowski, two-year deal, entry-level contract. Uh, the only one that we signed – that is a viable bottom six forward that isn't on the back nine is Morgan Geeky. 
Yes, I understand that, and I like the deal. I don't hate the deal. I mean, two million bucks a year. I'm good with two million bucks a year. It does not make up for the suck that is the rest of the signings. It does not make up for the fact that you traded away a Taylor Hall and then announced to the Bruins fandom that, oh, we're not really in the Tyler Bertuzzi sweepstakes. Then why the hell did you trade him? Sorry, I'm getting a little bit passionate about this. Don't worry, they picked up Mitchell uh, Miller, defenseman, who ha- admittedly had a great season in the USHL last year. I mean, literally great season um, for a defenseman. Uh, he's a 21-year-old, five foot ten, right shot, left defenseman, originally drafted by Arizona. There's great history there for the Bruins. Um, three points, including 39 goals in 60 games in the USHL last year, and then going a point per game in five games uh, in the playoffs. It's not that he's a bad return on that Taylor Hall deal, um, but defense is probably the only, I mean, defense and goaltending are the real strengths of the Bruins, so it doesn't move the needle nearly as much as picking up a, you know, center who could play in the top two might. I think the world of Charlie Coyle, I, I, like he is the prototype third line center. He protects the puck. Well, he kills penalties. He, he move he makes smart passes. Um, he, he doesn't have, he doesn't have two bad games in a row. But right now it's either him or Pavel Zaka as your number one center when the season opens. Terrifying <laughs> options. Why do, this is why they drafted four centers. Depending None of them were signed you, yet, by the way. Depending so, on who you want to believe. Well, they're all going to be at dev camp, so get to see how good the centers get. they have signed. The guys assigned center looking at Cap Brunley. John Beecher might push for a roster spot. Curtis Hall might push for early call-ups. Matthew Portress, um, love his game to pieces, but um, I'm not 100% certain he's going to be a number one or number two center this year. Um, He had a 95-point the uh, 95 point regular season in the OHL, 79 of them were assists. So I, I'm guessing he's I'm guessing he's not a shoot first guy. Clearly a distributor. Brett uh, Harrison, I'm probably in the same boat as far as he's not going to be number one center material, but. And I believe Trevor Kuntar isn't he listed as. Off ice participation only in this year's uh, dev camp, which means he's got to be nursing an injury. Was it Trevor? I didn't think it was. I thought it was one of the K kids. I don't remember which one. There was a kid, but it wasn't Trevor. So Morgan Geeky is going to come in and he's got a career 51.1% faceoff win percentage. So he's literally. 
slightly better than win some, lose some. Um, he averages 11 and a half minutes. Well, 11, 11 and a quarter minutes a night. Although that has significantly gone up since he's been moved to Seattle. I just, I did your centers up the middle are geeky and Zaka and Coyle. We don't even have a fourth line center. No, it's probably going to end up being, um, it might end up being what, uh, McLaughlin as your fourth, as your four C just kick off the year. Unless, unless Montgomery wants to put Frederick back at, back at the C position. Okay. He did. He I mean, did try it during. He did try it during the season last year. Last season. I mean, if you're if you're going to believe what, if you're going to believe Cap Friendly's projections, Patrick Brown is listed as center slash right wing. Uh, as are and Jason Manga uh, Magna is listed as C as at all three forward positions. Uh, one of them might grab the four C spot, but. Jason Magna, let's see. Um, Jason Magna will not be playing the center spot anytime soon because he's been playing since 2013-14, and he has a total of 447 face-offs. I think Patrice Bergeron has taken that many in a month. Of which he's won forty nine percent of them. So Magna will not be taking faceoffs. The other one is whom? Patrick Brown. Patrick Brown. Let's see how Patrick Brown is fared in the faceoff circle. Uh huh. Also listed as a center. And Patrick Brown has taken a whopping. No, no, he he could potentially no he don't no. Uh, with Philly, he was played at at the center position, but his other six years in the league, uh, not so much. So he's got a total of like seven or eight hundred faceoffs in his uh, three, five, seven, eight year career. Um, but he does have a fifty six point one win percentage. The one year that he actually did take a lot of faceoffs, he had a 56.5. He could potentially be your fourth line center. But he hasn't he doesn't have any there's no real history to back up him being a full time center except for his one his except for his two years with Philadelphia. His offensive numbers, however, don't bear him out as being a, a real beneficial NHL player. He's played in a whopping 138 games in seven years. Uh huh. And that's why I. That's why overall. Not going to be a center. <laughs> that's why overall I've said. If this team actually makes the playoffs somehow, and I think that Buffalo is a better team, I think that I think Detroit might be a better team. 
Detroit certainly added added some players. Um, they, added, they added so much talent, and they brought JT Comper home. Oh my goodness! You know, if if Bergeron and or Krejci don't come back, the goaltenders have to be literally lights out and probably put up a combined ten shutouts this year, like one in eight games. Wow. They are returning both goals. That is that is one thing that they did come out of. Maybe. Swayman's not signed yet. Oh, that's right. Free agent. Uh, restricted free agent. But they did not deal away. <clears throat> yeah. I think I think Sweeney is is covering his um <clears throat> what's that phrase they use in the stuff? Oh, hedging. He's hedging. Because if he can't get Swayman signed and Swayman ends up going full free agent, at least he still has Omar. But all of the local sports media is trying to fill us with the hope that they will be returning the Jennings and Vesna winner by having both Omar and Swayman in net for yet another season. I don't know if it's because the interest wasn't high enough in Olmark or if it's the price tag that that Sweeney has put on him was too high. And it's not like I wanted to trade him, but if you were going to cut salary, that would have been the position to do it at where you still had Swayman to fall back on. And you still have Brandon Busey in the system and you still have Kyle Kaiser in the system and you still have Michael DiPietro in the system. Yes. Why, are, why are we not – why was the, the, the move not made from that, from a position of strength? No, we traded away a left winger who, okay, he wasn't the most physical because, unfortunately, Tyler Bertuzzi out-physicaled him. But look at the way Taylor, Taylor Hall played Hall during did, the playoffs. Taylor Hall did everything you could ask for in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. He put on the bloody cape and made it look good. And you moved out a winger from a position where you don't have a whole lot of wingers because you keep drafting centers. I don't know what I don't know where the thinking is in this organization. Maybe they're part of the brain trust for women's hockey. I'm not sure if that was a dig on women's hockey or a dig on or, or, or a dig on the PWHPA or a dig on Don Sweeney. Yes, I like to be efficient. <laughs> That's good. You managed to work three in with one swing. Excellent. <laughs> I do, I, I'm sorry that this show is negative, but where did you expect it to go with what they've done to the PHF and what the what Sweeney's is doing right now to the Bruins? I understand that they were up against the cap. I understand that they went for it last season, but. Uh, no, you, you're still not making the right moves. And instead of operating from position of strength, you're operating from position of weakness. And you're not trading. It, it's not weak players that you're trading away. You lose Connor Clifton. Whether you like it or not, Connor was probably somebody you should have hung on to. Connor Clifton in the regular no. season last year. Now we get Shattenkirk. Arguably the best bottom pairing defenseman in the Eastern Conference. 
in the playoffs, he was bounced in and out of the lineup and then thrown in to the to the playoffs against a very competitive, very aggressive team. And wasn't he playing with Forbert, who also had not played the previous game? He was first of all, he was playing with. Yes. First of all, that game where Connor had the two turnovers, he was playing with he was playing with Derek Forbert, who also hadn't been playing. Connor had sat out the three prior games as a healthy scratch because they put um, whoever, whether I don't know, was it Grizzly that they sat out the first game and then asked that they sat Grizzly, which just is dumb in my book, unless Grizzly was injured, which I have. Sorry, I just. You, 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 you turn around and you watched him in one playoff game after letting him sit in the ninth ring for three games in a row. Oh, by the way, the goaltender that you didn't play back to back games all that often, you suddenly played him six games in a row and then went, hmm, maybe we should go. To the I'm not going to sit here and rag all over Montgomery. And that's not what this show is about. But as far as what's going on now in the offseason, the moves just aren't correct. And they seem to be stemming from what happened prior. And uh, I'm sorry, I'm frustrated. I apologize. Is there some happiness left in this or are we still going down? Uh... Um, there's happiness left because dev camp is this week. We're going to get Ooh. to see, uh, we're going to get dev to camp. see some of our favorite young prospects in action on the ice at the warrior ice. Um, look for me. Um, I will definitely be there. If you don't know what I look like already, just, uh, drop me a message on Twitter, um, and say, Hey, I'm here. Where are you? I will hopefully be somewhere near center ice. I will definitely have my tablet. I will have my phone and I may have my big camera. Wait. Um, so look forward to talking to anyone who's there. I'm calling Um, the timeout. Go. There's one thing left on this board here, and I don't know why it's there, but is it something that we should cover now? It says something about a cap poll. Did we miss oh, a right. poll? We did run a poll early in the early in the uh, week after last week's show. How much cap space? Will the go bolts clear between now and the end of the draft? Zero to two million, two point one to four point five million, four point six to four uh, to six million, or six point one million or more. Fifty five point six percent of you were absolutely correct because Tampa made no moves. <laughs> See now I'm smiling and laughing. <laughs> Um, Tampa made no moves and didn't clear any cap space, and they're still kind of hosed. Yeah, uh, have they made any signings? Wait a minute. Oh, they made what. some signings. In fact, I like some of their signings. Really? They, With they what signed money Connor are Sherry. they making? Didn't they have like four hundred and fifty thousand dollars? <laughs> um. Well, they have some. They have some. Um. What do you call it? Uh. In, um. Money that they can play with. Long oh, wait, uh, LTIR they have, money. They have Kucherov money. Uh, yeah, they have uh, playoff only player money. I guess is. Uh, ah, that's that. Ooh, they got Connor Sheary and Josh Archibald. Hmm. 
I don't know anything about Mitchell Chafee, Logan Brown, Luke Glendening, center. He's going to win some faceoffs for him. Uh, they brought in six people, and they're all the biggest contract that they did that they gave was to Connor Sheary. Wow. Okay, good for them. Uh, obviously, Julien Brisebois is uh, trying to retool on the fly. I mean, it's considering what he had to work with, which wasn't much money-wise, but Connor Sherry's a decent player. Logan Brown, decent player. Uh, you brought in Jonas Johansson to back up, uh, obviously to back up, and he's going to be an improvement over whatever they currently uh, Brian Elliott. Honestly, one of my favorite signings of free agency. Yeah. Um, and I want to say this in part because we were, in my opinion, rightly critical, r- rightly critical of the expansion draft. Um, so um, Brian Dumoulin to Seattle. Seattle's not Seattle is not going to be a one and done team. They're, they're not going to fall back into obscurity. Two years, uh, three point one five a year. Um, I I think that's that could be one of the sneaky best uh, signings of the you you signed the free best, agency. They just signed the best two way defenseman that Pittsburgh had on their team. Pittsburgh not built for defense as it is. Dumoulin was their guy, and now du- he's gone. Dumoulin was their guy, and he's gone, and I I don't even remember what Pittsburgh's theoretical defense looks like. <laughs> well, they still have that Latang guy. Right now, Pittsburgh's defense is Petri Latang, Ryan Graves, Marcus Pedersen, Jan Ruda, Pierre Oliver-Joseph, and Chad Ruiel. Um. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a lottery team. Are you are you saying right here on July second that Pittsburgh is um, possibly going down the road of, of Chicago and maybe tanking? No, because as long as Crosby and Gensel and Rust. Uh, and now I guess Smith and Carter are reasonably useful. Carter. They'll be one of those bubble teams all year long. Which Carter? Jeff Carter. Not reasonably useful. Jeff Carter is pretty much done. I don't know. Uh, he had a bad year. Okay, yeah, he's done. He's not playing uh, in his prime anymore, shall we say. I like Jeff Carter as much as the next guy. And he played a lot of good years out in L.A. and with Philly before that, obviously. But, but yeah, he's no. got almost 1,500 NHL games on his uh, body. And he and he looked like it this past season. He's that 38 was, years old, 1,249 regular season games, 133 playoff games. Ugh. I'm not saying they're going to tank, but it, it is going to be a difficult season for them. I don't expect them to be back in the playoffs. It is going to be difficult, especially when you lose. I don't expect them to be back in the playoffs myself. Um, not that we're making our predictions quite yet. No, no, no. We're not there yet. Give us another two weeks. 
let me study you. Let me let me see the finished product when the signings are done and everything else, and then I'll get back to you. Because we did say the same thing about the Bruins last year, that they were going to be a 500 team, and we questioned whether they would make the playoffs, and look what happened. So they say they say anything can happen. So Eric Stahl is not currently signed uh, to a to a contract. Stop. Neither is Patrice Bergeron. And I say that I bring this up because the two of them are atop the scoring um, for the 20, 2003 draft class. I know. Um, Ryan Getzlaff is retired. Third place and still active is Joe Pavelski. He is. Yeah. He's playing. Injured. He is 25 points behind Bergeron. And um, another and like 48 points behind Eric Stahl. Mm-hmm. If Pavelski plays this season, so 48 points is not out of not a stretch. We could actually see the 2003 golden draft capped off by being led in scoring across their careers by a seventh round pick yeah that's utterly bonkers seventh round oh three the 205th pick 205th pick in the 2003 draft might well end up as the greatest scorer of the greatest draft class in a generation or two. Yeah. Arguably, it's the best draft ever. And a seventh round pick might end up atop the scoring heap. Playing, by the way, really good hockey in his later years. Um, he only played in 14 games this year. In the tw- Wait a minute. The- oh, that's playoffs. Okay. They're doing weird stuff on hockey DB, but he okay. he scored seventy seven points as in a season he finished up at thirty eight years old. Yeah, had himself a decent playoffs too. Yeah, fourteen points in fourteen games with nine goals. Nine, if I'm not mistaken, four of them came in one game. And and this was after having played the season prior all eighty two games. And a playoff run of seven games where he had six points and playing that shortened season where he had 51 points in 56 games. Yes, his last his first season in Dallas was not good. Thirty one points in 67 games. But even there, they went on. They went into play the into the uh, playoffs and he racked up 13 goals and 19 points in 27 games. Uh, like he's playing better now than he was seven, six or seven years ago. I, in oh. fact, his highest career, his career high total came two seasons ago at, at 37 or so years old. Mm-hmm. Absolutely bonkers. I want and, to know where he found the, the uh, fountain of youth and I need to go bathe in it for a couple of weeks. And, and by the way, since you wanted to bring him up, I, there's a goaltender 
He's played the second most games. He's not going to catch the first because the first is obviously Marc-Andre Fleury with 987. But the second most games played by a goaltender um, is a guy who was drafted in the, oh, wait for it, um, eighth round, since they have eight rounds. Um, some guy named Yaroslav, who, by the way, has never had a season end with a save percentage under 90 in his whole career. Yeah. 581 games played, second only to uh, the flower. So you're um, saying if he plays ninth round, my apologies, he was drafted in the ninth round. Because they had yeah, I thought rounds. that was wrong. Um, they had nine rounds back then. He was drafted in the ninth round. He is currently unsigned, but if he comes, if he gets a contract and plays in just nine games, he'll have hit six hundred games. That's more than most skaters ever play in the NHL. Nineteen, nineteen games. Nineteen games. Yeah. Five eighty-one. Nineteen games. 600 games in the NHL. Like I said, not going to catch the flower, and that's, and I get it. But, I mean, five, ninth round goal. To, ninth round. Okay, I understand they don't have nine rounds anymore, but ninth round goaltender. <laughs> He's got almost 600 games in the NHL. Yeah, no, this draft is untouchable. <laughs> um, as it stands now... Halak is in the top. Oh, no, wait a minute. He's just outside the top 50 for games played all time. Okay. If he gets to 600, he'll, well, 604 would tie him with Greg Millen at 53. Um, If he can get to 608 games, he'd be tied with Ron Hextall for 50. But if he gets to even 613, he'll move up to 48, uh, where Kirk McLean currently sits. That's not a lot of games. That's that's playing the rest of this year. I, I mean, if he plays next season and plays 19 games, which not many, um, 19 games would get him to 600. Uh, only 54 goaltenders have ever played that many. Um, him and Varlamov are two games apart on the list. Varlamov has two games on him. Um yeah, that 2003 draft class, utterly ridiculous, he's unrepeatable, and simply fantastic to have been a fan of. He's 41st on he's he's 41st in games played just in that draft as a goaltender. <laughs> yes, but he is a but he is a goaltender, and there were. How many players taken in the total drafted players to 230, 260? Well, it's nine rounds, but they have less teams. Uh, yeah, that's I'm trying to think of the the math is the math is escaping me. Don't worry about it. Anyway, 
But yeah, to be 41st as a goaltender out of 200 out of 292 yeah it's silly and that hockey fans is where we leave you have a great week uh we'll see you we'll see some of you at dev camp um the rest of you well uh you know how to get you know how to get a hold of us i'll probably tweet a couple of videos uh from the uh from the warrior rice have a great day